Hi, this is Dr. Linda Mintel. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Our website is filled with more encouraging interviews, all accessible at MyFaithRadio.com. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Mintel, the relationship doctor, and I'm here along with my co-host, the other Dr. Mintel, my husband, Norm. And every weekend, we're here, we're doing life together, and as always, we're just so glad you've joined us. Doing life together is so much fun. It is. We've yes. been doing it a long time, Norm. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> yes, we have. Someone said, how long have you been married? I said, never, 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 years. Long time. Long yep, time. Long time. <laughs> Now, I have to admit, I'm not really familiar with today's show topic. I know we've done a show in the past on narcissism, but nothing on what I've heard is called covert narcissism. So I'm really interested to learn more about that and how we could respond perhaps to someone who you can help us understand may be a covert narcissist. So could we start with the definition? That'd be a good place to start. So a covert narcissist is someone who has symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder. Right. So I'll go over those symptoms in just a moment. Okay. There are nine of those, and I'll talk about those. But often this person hides those overt symptoms that we see in what's called overt narcissism. So okay. there's a little bit of a difference here. I got you. The signs of narcissism are more subtle and maybe less obvious to other people. However... This type of narcissism is just as unhealthy as the overt type as well. So even though it presents differently, it shares some of the basic traits of someone with NPD, narcissistic personality disorder. That's right. Okay. And while the signs are more subtle, like I said, the person still has this inflated sense of self, a lack of empathy for others, and an excessive need for admiration and attention. Um, it's just that those are less obvious, which makes it a little bit more difficult to spot. Right. Did you know that, of course, why am I asking you if you knew? Of course, you know. But for some of us, I didn't know. The term narcissism actually comes from the ancient Greek myth about Narcissus, who was a young man who, when looking at his reflection in a pool of water, fell in love with himself. Talk about vanity. Well, that's the story. That's what, I believe that's where narcissistic personality disorder, that term comes mm -hmm. from, is that original Greek myth. So here's a distinctive, though, I want to make about this. Self-importance is a characteristic of narcissism, but that is not the same as self-esteem. Oh. So someone with self-esteem, or what we call God-esteem, mm -hmm. knows that they are valued by God, and they do not, nor should they ever, assert their superiority over others. It's just not how Christ taught us to think about ourselves. Well, that's for sure. So self-importance of any kind is not healthy much less spiritually sound. Would you say the main difference between an overt narcissist and a covert narcissist is that the covert one tends to be more introverted? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And are the covert and overt diagnosed the same way? Yes. Yeah, so they're both diagnosed as narcissistic personality disorder. And in order to meet that diagnosis, you have to have five of the nine traits that I'm going to mention. Okay. So the first one is that sense of self-importance that we just mentioned. That's one of the traits. Preoccupation with power, beauty, or success. Entitlement. 
They feel like they can only be around people who are important or special. Oh, wow. Interpersonally exploitative for their own gain. Arrogant. They lack empathy. They must be admired. And they're often resentful of others or feel that other people are resenting them. Hmm. So if you have five of those nine things that I just mentioned, you would meet that criteria if this was a long and enduring pattern of behavior over years that people see in you. So that okay. is one of the other things for a personality disorder is it has to be something that has been happening for a number of years. But what you see more in covert narcissism is a secret sense of superiority. They appear to be modest, but really believe that they're superior. And this often results in them avoiding tasks or situations that would challenge that sense of superiority that they secretly have. Would uh, that avoidance also include maybe socializing with other people? Yeah, it absolutely would. They avoid socializing because they often have social anxiety Hmm. and they fear that they're being compared to other people. So it's kind of like an inferiority complex? I mean, you... You have a sense of self-importance. Right. But it's so so that's a really great question because the real root of narcissistic personality disorder is a feeling that you are inferior and that somebody's going to find that out. So that's kind of at the root of everything we're talking about. So help us. What causes this? Is it something that turns on? Well, it's it's like the case of a lot of psychiatric disorders. We don't know exactly. But we do know that there's a combination of genetics, often child abuse and trauma. There's issues in their upbringing and relationships with caregivers. Certain personalities are more prone to this and even temperaments. Hmm. Basically, there's just a lot of factors in play. For example, Norm, parents might have been highly focused on status and achievement and might have made a child feel more special or valuable because of their accomplishments, which could lead to that more entitled feeling. Sure, sure, that makes sense. Yeah. And on the other side of it, it can develop maybe because you were ignored or disrespected. You felt shame. You felt like, oh, I'm less educated or attractive. I'm not getting the attention I need. And I feel jealous. I feel out of control. So that's another way sometimes people compensate by being overly confident in who they are. I think that kind of makes sense. So that's a good general overview. Now let's talk about how this type of narcissism affects relationships. That's what we talk about a lot on our show. Mm -hmm. Let's begin with romantic relationships. What clues of narcissism should we look for in a romantic partner? Yeah, so in romantic relationships, the the thing that you're really going to notice is that this relationship feels very one-sided. Particularly when you need to seek out some type of emotional soothing or support or reassurance from the other person, you're just not going to really get it. And that will, you'll feel that in the relationship that it feels one sided. I would think so. Probably feels distant. Perhaps Just that you're not getting from that person. You're giving and you're not getting back from that person. Okay. I'm guessing there might be some other clues. Yeah. So being inattentive to you and distracted. So the covert narcissist is very self-absorbed and just is going to give you very little time and they won't attend really to what's going on with you, which is Mm -hmm. why you're not getting your needs Mm -hmm. met. Right. Are they jealous? Yeah, and paranoid sometimes, hmm. uh, constantly envying other people. They want the uh, you know they want the big house, they want the cars, they want jobs and friends, they want all these status symbols to feel important. 
And then there's this inability to understand the partner's point of view or what we call empathy. Mm. So really, there's a lack of empathy, although I did read a study that said that there is a little bit more hope with a covert narcissistic type because sometimes they are capable of giving a little empathy to their partner. But in narcissistic personality disorder in general, this is really a problem is that the person is not able to put themselves in your shoes and give you that sort of empathetic uh, response to things. Do they, do these folks get angry? Is it, is it kind of a surprising anger or something? Yeah, they're very overly sensitive. So a certain hypersensitivity is going on, which means that they could just break out really quickly in a burst and become very angry or even violent or mm. even breaking down into tears. Oh, wow. Wow. I'll bet they change jobs a lot. Well, and whenever you have a personality <laughs> disorder, one of the characteristics is you have a lot of problems getting along with people. If they believe that they know best, they're frequently going to have conflicts with their boss or some somebody mm-hmm. in the in the job mm-hmm. world there. They, they might move away from a job to avoid being fired. I've actually seen that with people. They know they're creating problems. They're not aware of why, but they know they are. And so sometimes they'll just leave the job rather than being fired. Wow. So I bet if they think they're worth all this good stuff, they love to buy things. Yeah. So that's there can be some impulsive buying because they have to keep up, right? So jewelry, electronics, a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of issues bonding with children. Oh. Again, because if you don't have a good sense of empathy, you're really going to have problems and struggle to bond with your children at any age. Yeah. Legal issues? Are they in trouble with the law? Yes. They think because they don't think the rules and the laws should apply to them, oh. right? They're special. So sometimes they'll engage in things that will take them down the road path. Okay. Interesting for romantic relationships. I bet some of this applies to parental relationships. What signs should we look for in our relationship with parents? Yeah. So if you have narcissistic parents, you're going to look for constantly being disappointing. Uh, disappointed because no matter how much you achieve, you're just not going to get the kind of be good enough yeah, type thing. Yeah, you're not yeah. going to be good enough in that. There may be some physical absence from narcissistic parents because they're always concerned about their own needs mm-hmm. and emotional absences because of that. Again, that difficulty in connecting emotionally. And here's the real problem. One of the real problems is that they're often comparing children to other people because they want the best. They want the strongest, uh, the most athletic, you know, they want their children to do well. And then they're angry when their children need attention because they have other things to do. <laughs> they don't want to, they don't want to respond to that. And so sometimes what we can see is that they're exploiting people, including their children for personal gain. Let's quickly move on to friendship relationships like coworkers. What do we look for in those? Okay, one of the things you look for is something called triangulation. Mm. And this is when we've talked about this in some of our marriage shows. Someone has a conflict with someone else. They don't deal directly with that conflict. Instead, what they do is they bring in a third party. Narcissistic people love to do that. They love to bring in the third party to create drama and to kind of muck up the conflict as they're they're doing things. And what happens is you can have this really feeling of being emotionally drained from someone with this problem. And often they play the victim. So that's really, that really weighs on you in a friendship when they're constantly being the victim and it's always your fault. Mm -hmm. And then you see this lack of generosity, which we love to have in our friendships, right? We like to have people be generous with us, but that just doesn't happen a lot. There's not a lot of give and take because they're, again, focusing on their own needs. 
And then one of the really struggles in a friendship is they're being overly critical. So they'll be quick to point out the flaws and imperfections in others because they don't want you to talk about their own flaws and imperfections. Okay. Well, that's a lot to take in, but now we understand what we can look for in different types of relationships and how we deal with this. We're going to learn more when we come back. So stay with us. We'll be right back after the break. Some days I simply have to fight discouragement. When those days come, I like to read the Psalms and meditate on the cure for my discouragement. Take Psalm 103, for example. David, feeling discouraged, talks to himself in a way that uplifts his soul. He tells his soul to bless the Lord and to remember the benefits of serving God. David wrote this psalm to encourage himself in the Lord, something I know I need to do regularly. Instead of focusing on all of his problems, David decided to engage his will and rehearsed the goodness of God. He begins the psalm by blessing the Lord. Then he speaks to his soul and reminds himself of all that God does for those who are faithful to him. So when you feel discouraged, do what David did and encourage yourself in the Lord. It will transform that discouragement to praise and gratitude. We welcome you back to the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Our topic today is one that impacts all of us, getting along with friends, neighbors, relatives, all of our relationships, if those folks are what we're calling covert narcissists. But before we get back to our conversation, let me remind you to check out Dr. Linda's website, drlindamental.com. There you'll find her blogs, her books, and you can connect with her on social media. An easy way to know what she's writing about each day is to follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Linda Mental or on Facebook at Dr. Linda Mental author and speaker. And the book that may help for today's topic is We Need to Talk. It has a special chapter on conflict with difficult people. Well, Dr. Linda, we spent the first part of our program today learning to recognize signs of someone with covert narcissism. Now I'd really like for us to talk about what we can do about it. So how about let's start with prevention? A few words, please, on warnings to parents or grandparents. That's a great place to start. So one thing you heard us say already, and this would be related to a prevention strategy, is to avoid telling your child they are superior and that they deserve every advantage in life. Because when you overly tell the per- the child that they're special, that you know they're better than everybody else, look what he's accomplished, and you're constantly focusing on that, it really can set up that feeling of entitlement. Is that like, is that like when we supposedly all tell our kids and we probably did, you can do anything, you can be anyone you want. I think it's, it's fine to motivate them that way. But if you're saying you're better than other people or you're the best or nobody can match you, you're the best dancer out there. There's nobody else like you. It's again, making them superior to other people, which we don't want to do with our children Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's not a godly concept, Right. right? Right. The second one is allow your child to experience the consequences of action. Let, let, let them feel what it feels like to fail or to do something wrong and then have a consequence to that and then mm-hmm. give feedback to them. Teach them and teach them empathetic behavior and how to be kind to other people. That would be huge prevention if you do that. And then the third thing I'm thinking about, Norm, is model unconditional love and teach them biblical principles of relationships. So one we're going to talk about a little bit more later is not to think more highly of yourself than other people. 
And I know we keep coming back to that, but Jesus was very specific like th- about that, is that we are all valued and made in the image of mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. So now in dealing with a covert narcissist who tries to pull you into those unhealthy triangles that you'd mentioned before, how do we respond to that? Well, when you are pulled into a toxic triangle, and it does happen, so you have to learn to recognize those, and you the goal is to stay out of it. Mm-hmm. So pulling you into a dispute between two people is really a manipulation tool. So stay out of those triangles, redirect the person to deal with the person involved in their conflict. So here's an example. Let's say they're upset with their friend who isn't inviting them to a dinner, and they're telling you about it, right? Encourage them to talk to the friend directly. Don't you get in the middle of this. And then redirect them in private, not in front of people. That's really important because they're going to get really embarrassed if you do this in front of somebody. So keep in mind that they might get angry, but that is not your issue. And you are trying to direct them into a healthy pattern, which is you have a problem with somebody, you talk to them directly. You don't bring me in the middle of this. That makes sense. So that sounds like a conflict, which we've mentioned before. And we did say that in your book, We Need to Talk, you have a special chapter just on dealing with conflict and difficult people. And I presume someone with covert narcissism is pretty often a difficult person. Yeah. And so they would be included in that chapter. So here's some of the the takeaways from that. You're never going to win at a conflict with someone who has a personality disorder. So you don't try to win the argument. That's just Mm -hmm. gonna go nowhere. And one reason is that the person sees conflict as an attack on them, Mm -hmm. not as a problem to be solved. Mm -hmm. So that's a big difference. Mm -hmm. The best thing to do when you disagree is to tell them you accept their opinion or you understand now how they feel and then don't fight back with it. You don't want to engage them in a fight because you're not gonna win that fight. So saying things like, I see where you're coming from, or, hmm, your perspective is very interesting, or simply saying, you know, we can agree to disagree. Those statements are somewhat disarming and will really help the situation. Well, that's good. That's good advice. And I would imagine that setting boundaries is pretty important. Yeah. I mean, boundaries are huge in any type of dysfunctional relationship. And when the thing is, when you set a boundary— you really need to stick to those boundaries. Mm. And that's the hardest part is because you can in your head know what you're supposed to do. And then you get in the situation and the person is just coming at you and you kind of give in. But you really don't want to do that. So you can say things like, you know, I don't like how you're speaking to me, so I'm going to stop talking right now. Or maybe I'm not going to argue anymore and then just stop. Or simply, you know, I understand. Because narcissists have a deep need to feel understood and heard and seen. So stating that you understand will help someone with narcissistic tendencies to feel less agitated. Seems like what you're saying is it's important to respond to these folks, not just react to them. Yeah, and it's really hard to do that, isn't it? Because you're not giving, you're not getting the give and take. They're not being empathetic. They're blaming you. They're thinking that you're the problem. Uh, so, you know, you have to just figure out a good way to respond to somebody if you're in a relationship like that. Because often what's happening is you're getting gaslit. Mm. And we did a show on that Gaslighting, a while back. We right. need to probably bring that one back because I think that was a really old show. But that was a really good show to understand how this process works. And because what that is, it's a, it's a type of psychological abuse that um, people that are difficult will use to make people question themselves and question their own reality. Hmm. 
And gaslighting can sometimes be hard to identify, especially when it's subtle. Mm -hmm. So for example, a narcissist might deny having said something or tell you, oh, you're overreacting to make it seem like you are the problem. And then when this happens over and over, you begin to question. You think, well, maybe I am the problem. Maybe there is something wrong with me. <laughs> this sounds counterintuitive to me, but I'm wondering if it helps to give the narcissist compliments and support. You know what? It actually does. It's hard to compliment someone who is acting out towards you. Mm -hmm. But by rewarding positive behavior when they happen, you may increase the likelihood that those behaviors will continue because praise really feeds the person with narcissistic traits. Actions that are associated with others admiring them will most likely continue. So, you know, I'm not saying make up things to praise them with, but right. I'm saying if you see something positive that they're doing, jump on it and praise them and tell them how much you like that. But just the positive stuff. Right. Right. Okay. Right. So if you're interacting with a narcissist outside of a marriage or friendship, should you be careful about telling them too much about your personal feelings like you do in a healthy relationship? Absolutely. I would really limit the information I share because you don't know how it's going to be used. And this is not a person that's going to give you empathy and support anyway. Right, right. So that could really backfire on you and it may be used against you down the road. Seems like one of the real difficulties in these relationships is handling the blame and their criticism that they're handing out on a regular basis. That has to be painful. It's really hard. And the key to that is not to take it personally, although I'm saying that and I know that that's really hard to do. Right. And I'm guessing therapy would really help. It would. It really does help. The problem is the person usually only comes in when they've experienced a lot of losses in their relationships. Okay. We're getting close to the end of the show. Let's talk about the spiritual issues that are involved in all of this. Number one, we need, I'm guessing, to see the person who has covert narcissism with compassion. Because first, they're loved by God. And then, of course, because we recognize they have a mental health and spiritual problem that really needs healing. You know, I couldn't agree more. This requires loving the unlovely, mm -hmm. exactly what Jesus told us to do. Again, that doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. But loving boundaries are still important to set and enforce, so keep those up. But treat the person with kindness. If they are a believer, point them to the Bible for an understanding of how we are to treat each other. There's lots of guidance in the Bible Absolutely. on our relationships. And we should respond in godly ways to someone who isn't treating us well. But that requires self-control and patience. And those, we know, are fruit of the Spirit. Right. Self-control keeps us from lashing out in unhealthy or ungodly ways. It doesn't require us to continue putting ourselves in situations when where we are at risk for abuse of any kind. It means we are not responding in kind. Mm -hmm. So don't mistreat them because they mistreat you. And when they mistreat you, forgive as often as needed. We know that that keeps your heart right before God. Oh, and forgiveness is right at the center. It has to happen over and over. When asked, Jesus said how many times? He said 490. I did the math. 70 times 7 is <laughs> okay. 490 times per offense. Wow. In other words, we have to keep forgiving. Yeah. So if you struggle with a relationship because you believe this could be an issue— Find a supportive and trusted friend who will pray with you. You can debrief with friends and examine your part of the relationship, the part that you actually can control. You can test your thoughts and actions with trusted friends so that you don't question your own sanity. <laughs> so what if the person we're talking about really does want to get help and be better? I would tell them that the full surrender to God is needed. The Holy Spirit can change them if they allow the Spirit to work in them. 
but they must lose their pride and feeling of superiority. The only reality check will come by the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that changes us. You know, everyone wants to be loved and accepted. God is the source of perfect love and acceptance. But we need an understanding of who we are in Christ. We are not to elevate ourselves above others. No, Paul tells us in Romans, in fact, do not think of yourself more highly than you should, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And then James tells us that we should humble ourselves before the Lord, and He's the one who will lift us up. So the narcissistic person has it backwards. Pride elevates self. It is the gospel that is a deterrent to feeling self-important and disabling shame. Know who you are in Christ. Our sense of self does not come from self or other people. It comes from being a child of God and walking in humility. Be confident in who God made you to be, but stay humble, pray, meditate on the Word, and seek Christian counseling if you need it. Well, that's all the time we have today. Many thanks to our producer and my co-host, Norm Mintel, who makes the show a conversation, and to our technical producer, Katie Sims. From all of us here at Faith Radio, hey, we'll talk to you again next weekend. In the meantime, remember, we're doing life together, and it's better when you don't have to do it alone. Doing life together. Well, thanks for listening to this conversation from the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. These podcasts are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and helping us grow the impact of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player, and you'll never miss a show.